you can start to have businesses that are become overly obsessed with reducing waste and it comes at the expense of the customer and it comes at the expense of the business. And so just make sure that the way we're coming at this topic is not becoming a dog chasing its tail where you start generating waste because you're spending so much time and energy trying to reduce it. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, we're jumping into part three of a series with our COO, Zach Estes, and the entire theme of this series is operational excellence. In the first episode, we talked about the distinction between value and waste. In the second episode, We talked about how you dedicate your time as a leader, whether you're working in the business, on the business, or out of the business, and why it's so crucial for you to have a vision for your time. And then today, we're going to jump in deeper to the topic of waste, because obviously, when you start to introduce leaders and teams to this concept or this paradigm or this model of value or waste, so often, passionate people, impact-driven leaders, immediately start asking the question, okay, well, how can we be about the business of reducing waste in our organization so that we can generate optimal value for our customer? And one of the tools uh, that we've found really valuable and really helpful in that pursuit of reducing waste is not something that's original to us. It was actually created for a manufacturing environment, but it absolutely applies to any industry. And it's to take this big concept or this idea of waste and to say, okay, well, there's actually specific specific categories of waste that can be identified. And if you can identify them, then you can be about the business of fixing them. But it actually connects to a principle we talk about all the time in personal growth and leadership. You will never fix what you refuse to see. But oftentimes as well, that if you know what you're looking for, it's so much easier to spot something. That's why this episode and the following episode are going to walk us through what the eight types of waste are and how they might be showing up in your business. Okay, here we go. Okay, Zach, here we go, round three. I'd love for us to first jump in with why this topic of the eight types of waste is so important for an impact-driven leader who owns or runs a business. Yeah, so we've talked about value and waste in prior episodes And one of the things that we said was really, really important is defining and clarifying what value is. And so value is what customers pay for, period, end of stop. So that gives you a lens for what value is and what value isn't. And so whenever I'd like to say that everything that's not value is waste, right? If if it's not what the customer's paying for, everything else is waste. Everything we've talked about, about working on the business, out of the business, leadership, communication, all of that is not what the customer is paying for. So then uh, what's helpful is just to kind of get a little bit of a deeper lens, a little bit of a deeper understanding for what wastes looks like and the types of waste that are easier to reduce and identify inside of the business. I guess I have two questions on this. What are the origins of this to the, to the degree that you know them, number one? Yeah, so really all of this kind of comes from best practices at Ford and manufacturing. So all of kind of continuous improvement came originally from Ford and was the Japanese culture really 
they they do this with many things, but they adopt best practices and improve upon them. And so Toyota and the Toyota production system really popularized the practice of continuous improvement. And so just the idea of like clarifying types of Muda or Muda is Japanese for waste types of Muda in their processes helps their team members be able to specify what it is that they're trying to reduce so that they can generate and create more, create and deliver more value and generate more profits associated with that. And one of the things that I think is so cool, just knowing you as a friend, is that you're not really just passionate about business leaders and business owners knowing this stuff. You think, first of all, that this stuff applies to everyone, everywhere, all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, but then also beyond that, within the context of what we do at Path for Growth, you're really passionate about this not being a leadership-driven effort, but rather being a team, collaborative, unified effort. Why are you so passionate about the team being engaged in this altogether? Yeah. Functionally, it's just a more efficient way of working. You know, whenever you think about empowering or equipping people, like we we have some people just think about that as being like, oh, that's just like, it makes me feel good. And that's the right thing that we should do. Well, it's like, yeah, that that's true. It's, it's, it's treating someone with the respect that they're capable and able and a belief in them that maybe they don't have for themselves. So that's true. And also it's just more efficient. Functionally, if you're able to decentralize decision-making for someone to act in the best interest of not just themselves, but also the business and the customer, then so many of these wastes go away. They get removed by that process, or at least they're reduced by that process. It's so funny. Whenever I ask you a question like that, this has happened probably in every one of these episodes that we've done this far. I'll ask you the question and in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to give an answer related to effectiveness. And you always say, you know, it's just really more efficient. And I'm like, <laughs> that, that is such a perfect characterization of our working relationship is like, you get so amped up about the efficiency of something roaming well. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to make a greater impact. And it's like, man, uh, we could do a whole nother episode on the fact that we both are equally passionate about those two things. And that's what makes this run. And the answer is like, yes, right? Mm -hmm. my my mind just immediately goes to, well, if it's not effective, then it's not efficient. Like, don't, don't, we're not even discussing efficiency until effective is true. That's right. And if it's not efficient, then it's not effective, or it's yeah. certainly not as effective as it could be. Sure. I think that also ties into one more thing that I, I wanted you to highlight before we jump in to the eight types of waste as a means of reducing waste in your organization. And that's, I believe it's part of the Toyota production system, the two reins. So could you draw out that illustration for us, the two reins on the horse that the Toyota production system is based on and cares about? Yeah. So... Toyota would probably call this uh, something along the lines of like their house. I don't actually know what Toyota would specifically call this. There's a couple of books out there like the Toyota Way that might reference things like this. But the Japanese culture likes to kind of build houses to symbolize things and model things. And so the Toyota Way was kind of symbolized as the two pillars that kind of really hold the infrastructure together for Toyota. One was continuous improvement, and that's very like process-oriented. The reduction of waste specifically is kind of what continuous improvement is. And the other is respect for people. And so I like, like Alex mentioned, I really like to think about those things as reins on a horse. You know, you got to hold both of those reins to go straight to get where you want to go. If you pull on just one of those reins or if you let up on just one of those reins, then you're going to change directions. 
you're going to over maybe, and maybe you need to, right? Maybe that's, that's why I like the rain so much is that maybe you need to overcompensate on one for a season of time and then come back to balance. But the thing that I really like to just go back to is what Toyota showed us as the standard, as the example for that is it, it takes both. You can't do it without one or the other, the, the house, so to speak, will fall apart if there's just one pillar. And there's eight types of waste, and they're actually pretty easy to remember because the way you communicate about them is through the lens of an acronym. But before we jump into what each of them is, I'd love for you first to share what the acronym is and why that's actually significant. And then from there, why it's actually valuable not to just look at waste as waste, but rather to look at it through the lens of these eight categories, Zach. Yeah, great point. So the acronym itself is downtime. That's the acronym. And we'll step through each of those. Each letter represents a word that represents a type of waste, a form of waste. And so the acronym is downtime. The reason that's a really nice analogy and acronym for waste is because downtime represents not uptime. And so if we say, well, what is uptime? Well, uptime is when something like a machine, something like an asset is doing what it's supposed to do. So if you look at like a a vacuum or a machine or, you know, I'm just trying to use any type of machine that you use, a car, if it's just sitting there turned off, it's not doing what it was made to do. It's just taking up space. It's just down and that's downtime. And so uptime is it doing what it was made to do, creating the value that it was made to create, taking a raw material or a current state and turning it into a future state or a final product, a net product, whatever you want to call it. So downtime is just a really nice analogy and it works. It just so happens to work for describing all of the types of waste. Very good. And then why is it crucial that we don't just look at waste as waste, but rather through the lens of these eight categories? Yeah. So the biggest thing I'd say is understanding that waste is always relative to the creation and delivery of value. Okay. So what does that mean? So in a prior episodes, we talked about in the business work, on the business work, and out of the business work. All of that revolves around the creation and delivery value, which only happens in the business, right? That's the type of work that's where the, where the value is being created and delivered for the customer. That's how the customer receives that impact, that change that they're expecting from the promise that you made them. So downtime itself and, and all the waste that we're about to walk through are really relevant and relative to in the business work. Meaning we look at in the business specifically and see how can we tighten up these processes so that they're less wasteful, so that they have less non-value adding time associated with them. And so that proportionally they have more value added time from start to finish so that the customer's receiving essentially a bigger bang for their buck. Final question on this topic. What is a healthy attitude towards waste for both a leader and the team? Because this could be a topic, and we've actually observed it in certain companies become a topic that becomes wildly stressful and burdensome and actually, instead of creating unity, creates toxicity. So what's a proper attitude towards the topic of waste? Yeah, two things come to mind. One is absolutes aren't helpful and they're not practical. So the only thing that they are helpful for are direction. So whenever we're saying we're going to eliminate waste, like that's not really a helpful goal because it's not possible. 
And I think we mentioned that in a prior episode. So eliminating waste isn't possible. What is possible? That direction is possible. And that's, that direction is to reduce waste. Okay, so that's one. The other one would be understanding the words that you use and ensuring that the semantics matter. So whenever we talk about waste, often you'll start to equate that to certain roles. Like these roles are non-value producing roles. They do not they do not contribute to the creation or delivery of value directly. They are purely waste. And if you say that to someone who doesn't understand the context of this conversation or really just any of this information, it's really confusing. And they think of waste as trash, right? We, we say like waste management is literally a trash company that comes up and picks up your trash. So what they don't want to be is trash that is gotten rid of. And that's people's biggest fears is that they're going to be noted as waste. They're going to be noted as non-value adding and that they're going to be getting gotten rid of. And I'll tell you right now, that's the biggest way you can get someone to not participate and contribute to a healthy organization is to have them think, it doesn't matter what you've said, if they believe and think that they are going to be viewed as trash to be gotten rid of because of an incorrect understanding of, of what this infrastructure and kind of philosophy of work means, then they're going to act in such a way that their interests are going to be protected and not the interests, not the best interests of both themselves and the company. So right. all that to say, it's really important that you understand the semantics of value, non-value, and that your team understands that there are things that are non-value, that are valuable, meaning we expect a return from this investment, but it's not what the customer is paying for. Mm-hmm. From a leadership perspective, there's a couple principles at play that I really think make the content that we're walking through today really valuable. Number one is one that we say all the time in this podcast, and that it's uh, specific questions create specific answers. And therefore, if you want to improve the quality of your answer or the quality of your result, start by asking a better question. And if the question is, where is the waste in our organization? Well, then that's a very broad question. You're going to get very broad answers and therefore you're not going to be able to focus on anything. Mm -hmm. Conversely, if you say, where is this specific type of waste showing up within this specific area? You can rally the team around being investigators that are looking for something with clarity and focus and unified understanding. And so I think that's why the eight categories are so important. But then what we're also kind of advocating for in this episode is for you to be a leader and for your team to be a team that really attends to the waste in its organization. And we think that that's a means and manner of practicing healthy growth. And so when we say attends to it, we're talking about your attention. And I've been thinking a lot lately about how Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says the eye is the lamp of the body. And if the eye is healthy, the whole body will be filled with light, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to think about because the eye there is talking about your physical eyes, obviously, but it's, he's also operating on a whole other metaphysical level of where are you directing your energy, your attention, but also your spiritual attention and your spiritual vision. And if the things that you're looking at are toxic and problems and darkness, 
it, what it says is your whole body, your entire being will be filled with darkness. And so if you look at waste as only a problem and you teach your team to only dwell on the problems associated with waste, your entire being is going to be filled with darkness and you're not going to do a great job of moving the needle. And it's also not going to be very invigorating for anyone to be engaged in. What we've got to engage with is, man, every single one of these eight areas is low-hanging fruit that we get to call opportunity. Hmm. That's what it looks like to have a healthy eye. And what Jesus said is if the eye is healthy, if we look at these things not as problems but as possibilities, then our whole body, our entire being, and maybe even our entire organization will be filled with light. And so it's really crucial, though, that I think for leaders to really double down on how they are attending to this topic and what is their attitude towards this topic. Uh, Zach, I'd love for us to jump into the eight types, but before we go into that, was there something else you were going to say? Yeah, you were just making me think of the other, like the other, um, I think I've mentioned this before on, on another Path for Growth podcast episode, but the other use case of downtime and types of downtime, and there's planned downtime and there's unplanned downtime. And oftentimes, and, and that's maintenance, like we call that maintenance. Planned downtime is maintenance. Otherwise, if you don't have planned downtime, you will have unplanned downtime, meaning the machine will break down, right? And so that's that's kind of what I just heard you mention is like, man, the focus of maintenance, the focus of planned downtime is so that you can go in service of others, is so that you can get back to uptime and do the work that God created you for, do so that the machine can operate in such a way that the designer made it, so to speak. Unplanned downtime is breaking and falling apart and having to figure out, okay, we don't even know what's wrong with this thing or this piece of creation. And we got to sit here and put the parts back together. And so both are downtime. Both are non-value adding, not what it was made to do, not what the customer is paying for. But there's just different types of downtime there and one prevents the other. That's right. Man, you saying that just made this way more meta than it's ever been for me. <laughs> and that the, the act of reducing waste, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but the act of reducing waste is in itself waste. So like if you're listening to a podcast, let's say, on reducing waste, like that is by nature waste. But remember the way we talked about it in episode one in the series, we said there is such a thing as intentional waste where you are making a bet that by investing time into this, we will be able to create an exponential return in the form of value for the customer later. And so you can start to have businesses that are become overly obsessed with reducing waste and it comes at the expense of the customer and it comes at the expense of the business. And so just make sure that the way we're coming at this topic is not becoming a dog chasing its tail where you start generating waste because you're spending so much time and energy trying to reduce it. Have you ever thought about that? Oh yeah. And and that goes for our customers. I would, I would both challenge and almost scare our customers into thinking if all you're doing is getting information and you're not applying the principles and practices that we teach at Path for Growth and you're a paying customer of ours, that's a lot of waste. Everything we teach doesn't, isn't what your customers are paying you for. Everything you're doing as a leader inside of your organization, again, that's on the business, not in the business. If you remember that's not what your customer is paying you for. And if you're not applying the investment strategies, so to speak, that we're saying that produce a greater return, 
goodness. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of wasted time. It's just to spend time on any podcast, on any information, on any structure or anything to to not implement it and actually see the fruit. That's what I love about Paul Akers' approach to things like this. We've had Paul Akers on this podcast before. And it's like, you're going to take this lens and then you're not going to create some massive organizational effort around the eight types of waste. You're just going to start looking for two second improvements in your own life. Yeah. And, and because these are everywhere, right? And so you're going to start looking for two second improvements. And anytime you can take action, you do. And it's not this massive sweeping priority. It's just minute ways that will make things sustainably better moving forward. That connects to the principle that we talk about all the time. If you want to put your business in order, start by putting yourself in order. And so that's a great lens to look at this content and this podcast through is stop worrying about how you're going to apply this to everyone else. Apply it to yourself and then you'll be radically equipped to empower and equip and serve everyone else. Okay, so with that, I think we've I think we've set the table for the eight types of waste. The acronym is downtime. Let's jump into number one. Number one is defects. Explain what this means. Yeah, so defects. Again, all of these examples are relative to in the business work. So whenever you're creating and delivering value, whenever you're operating machine or you're conducting a process, you're doing something that should result in value for the customer, you're creating an end product, you're creating an end service or an end change, a future state that you're helping the customer realize. Whenever that's not happening, whenever you go through those, those processes or that amount of work and you come out on the other end with what the customer does not want, that results in a defect. Really clear example of this. You go to a restaurant, you order X and you get Y. Let's say you order a steak and you order it medium and it comes out rare. You're going to send back the defect for it to be cooked again. Or if it was you ordered it rare and it came out well done, you're going to send back the defect and they're going to have to make a whole nother steak. They're going to have to go through the entire process just to come back out with the actual thing that you wanted to pay money for. And so simply put, a defect is a product that is not what the customer paid for. It's not to spec. And it's essentially you not delivering on your promise that you made. Yeah, you use that language not to spec. And and you use that language a lot as you talk about a lot of these types of waste. Can you give people just a very base level understanding of what you mean whenever you say that? Yeah, typically in manufacturing settings, often what a customer does is they order a product in a quantity amount, and then they'll have specifications for what that product should be, meaning it'll have measurements associated with it, maybe weights associated with it. You know, these are typically like physical products, metal, machinery, manufacturing, all of those types of things, you know, auto industry, uh, aerospace industry. And so it'll have specifically, here are the things that we will accept and anything outside of the specification we will not accept meaning we are not going to pay for this. And that's a really helpful lens and principle to apply to all types of businesses, meaning your customer has a spec in their head, whether they know it or not, they have a spec in their head for what it is that is valuable to them and what it is that they will pay for. It's really nice. It's really convenient in manufacturing. And they've figured out that, oh, let's just clearly define what that spec is so that we know, so that the customer knows, that we know that the customer will pay for this and the customer knows that we will ship them something that they want that's actually like what they want and not something different. So all that to say, 
it's a clear definition of what value is and what they're expecting, what the customer's expecting so that you can create it. So that you don't waste your time and you don't waste their time creating defects that they won't pay for. Yeah. And in, in, in many businesses, the problem arises whenever we never properly set, communicated, or curiously received the expectations of the customer. And so therefore, the expectations of the customer stayed in their head the entire time. There was never anything contractually documented. And therefore, it's really, really hard not to have defects because you didn't even know what they were expecting and you never set any expectations. So in so many ways, uh, one of the ways to reduce defects in your organization is to get clear on what are we expecting to provide? What are they expecting to receive? And how do we ensure that those two things are the exact same thing? Okay, let's move on to waste number two, which is overproduction. Explain overproduction, Zach. So overproduction just looks like doing more than what the customer asked for. And so this is actually what creates inventory, which we'll get into later uh, in the downtime acronym. Overproduction looks like, hey, this customer ordered 100 of these things, or this customer is expecting a 90-minute coaching call, or this customer is expecting X, Y, and Z, and we actually deliver more than that, or we create more than that. Whether or not we deliver it, we created more than that. And so now we have this excess time and energy and money spent overproducing more than what the customer actually wanted. And since the customer is not paying for that, that's waste. Okay, very good. So I, I can already hear the argument associated with this. Some of our customers, literally one of their core values is above and beyond, right? And and that's what they're focused on with their team is we want to go above and beyond. And we believe in above and beyond service and work and all of that. How do you reconcile the idea of above and beyond and overproduction? How do you, how do you think about those two? Yeah, I, I think that comes back to above and beyond is functionally a form of two things or one of the two things, generosity or marketing or both. And so above and beyond is a way in which you can be generous and it's you taking your profit to spend and be generous and bless someone above and beyond what it is that they're paying for. And or it's a form of marketing in hopes of that it's an investment. Again, not what they're paying for. It's an investment that they'll continue being a customer for an extended period of time, that they'll come back and continue to do business with you. One of the ways in which I think about this just really tangibly is we use bourbon steak in Nashville as an example often. And I remember one of the first things that they told us is their goal for every time a customer comes in is to get them to come back again. And so that's that's really interesting if you think about like practically how does that play out? Well, sometimes someone visiting their restaurant, they'll want to bless them with maybe a little bit of an appetizer or something special from the chef that they didn't order, right? That's going to cost them their profits, but it's in hopes of maybe it's just being nice. Maybe they're friends of the restaurant or the owner of the business, or maybe, and maybe it's to make sure that that customer comes back again and they they receive that same feeling that they got. That's right. I, I think about we took uh, like 30 of our customers to Bourbon Steak um, at one of our last in-person experiences. And it was just such a wildly good dinner. But one of the things they do, and this is not just for our group, this is for any person that goes in that restaurant, is everyone gets three things of duck fat french fries with three unique dipping sauces and three types of spices and the three types of french fries. And it's like, I didn't order french fries. 
And so there's this moment where it's like, did they bring these to the wrong table? And it's like, no, that's calculated overproduction is what that is. They spent time, money, energy creating some of, I mean, it's literally my favorite French fry I've ever had, right? Creating that. And, and I love the lens through which you look at it. You looked at it through the lens of uh, generosity. So maybe they believe in like treating people like friends and, and they want to, uh, say thank you to the people that are blessing their restaurant with their attendance. Awesome. But then the number of times I've taken pictures of those freaking French fries and sent them to my friends and posted them on social media, right? And said, oh my gosh, this just came out. I love these French fries, right? Marketing. Brilliant, right? It's one of the reasons why I would say we go above and beyond in Christmas gifts, right? And and it's a calculated decision that we're going to go above and beyond and crush Christmas gifts. And we've done that for the past three years for our customers and friends of the Path for Growth community. Number one, generosity, right? Like we think Christmas is a really powerful time because it represents the birth of the savior of the world. And we want to make sure that the people that we are connected with receive something personal from us that reflects that message because that's why our business exists. So generosity, number one. But then number two, it's like, man, well, if we're going to send this stuff, we might as well do it in such a way that people are like, this is so cool. And in such a way that they tell people about it. And like, we literally had people tell taking videos of themselves opening the Christmas gifts and unwrapping. Someone told me, this was someone in the ortho Jewish community. They said, I think it was Karen. She said, I set up your box at the front of my house so that everyone at Hanukkah could come in and see your box and see what our, our coaches sent us from Path for Growth for Christmas of all things, right? And it's just like, oh my gosh, so cool, right? That we can bless people and create great marketing at the same time. But the thing that's worth focusing on that I regularly have to come back to, that that is not not overproduction. It is still overproduction. No one is paying us for Christmas gifts. They pay Christmas gift companies for that, right? They're paying us for coaching. We are making a calculated decision to overproduce. And when we're doing that, we're doing it for the outcomes of generosity and marketing. Yeah, exactly. Right. And if you and if you confuse and don't do those things intentionally, if you confuse what that is, then you'll you'll start to confuse what value is in your organization. And then you'll start to confuse the type of impact and promise that you're making for your customer. And that's why it's really important that it's like if you're gonna do Christmas gifts, maybe don't send like bad popcorn or a koozie that no one's going to use because it just talks about your company, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, think about like, okay, if we're going to overproduce, how can we overproduce in a way that would make a difference? Mm. Okay, let's move on to the next one. We said there's defects, there's overproduction, and then there's waiting. Dive into waiting. Yeah, waiting is simple. I think this is the this is the one that people experience the most. Something that I'll use Paul Akers as an example here. Often what happens is that whenever someone's executing a process, they come across a roadblock or a blocker in, in that um, execution where they need information. And so all of a sudden, they're now waiting. They can't continue on until they get that information or equipment or whatever it is, the tools necessary to do the job. They're now waiting until they can get equipped with whatever it is. He always talks about wherever the job is being done, wherever you have the question, that's where the answer should be. Wherever you have the question, that's where the answer should be. And so similarly, I mean, this is what we teach about like core values. This is how core values are used, right? It's like, well, how, how do we make this decision? 
some people don't even ask that. They just go, oh, I'm going to go to the leader and, and, or the boss and they'll, they'll make the decision and then I'll just execute whatever they, it is that they say. Well, from the time that they decide I'm not going to make a decision, I need to go ask someone for permission, all of that time is just waiting and the customer is not paying for you to go and find the information, to sit there and wait until you can actually do something that is that they are paying for. So all that to say, remember, waiting is a form of uh, non-value. It is not what the customer is paying for, and it's costing your company profit. I was talking to a leader who works in a company that I just really respect in so many ways, pretty large organization. I don't know if I've told you this story pretty large organization and has scaled really fast. And I was talking to this person that was a leader in the organization. I said, how are things going? And he kind of shook his head. And I said, what what does that mean? He said, things have just become very bureaucratic. And he he said, I think it's growing pains, but I'm not sure. He just said, there there's so many things that just require approval and and re- require oversight and all these things. And he says, it's just like one of the things that I really valued about this company for so long is it was so easy to do new and creative and innovative things. And it was all like in service of the customer. We were pretty agile. And he said, now it just feels very different. And, and then he said something I'll never forget because the, the metaphor has just stuck with me and in many ways convicted me as a leader. He said, Alex, I think I figured out the problem. There are way too many stop signs where there should be roundabouts. And I was like, dang, that's a great metaphor because what does a stop sign do? Wait. And and not only wait, you are waiting in dependence on what other people do, right? And so if the other person that has the right of way isn't moving or they're looking at their phone or something, you are at a standstill until that person decides to do something or you decide to break the rules. Conversely, what is a roundabout? It means that you're moving, you're moving, you're moving, you're going 30 an hour, and then you slow down just a little bit to say, okay, we're about to do something, and, and you adjust where other people are and what the variables are at play, and then you get into the flow, but you never never once stop moving. And and I just loved that metaphor. And I think in so many ways, that's how we as leaders have to commit to reducing waiting is remove, eliminate, destroy, abhor stop signs and start introducing processes that look more like roundabouts. Yeah. Okay. So everything you just talked about, I feel like are great examples for in the business work. And then I want to talk about a little bit of how waiting can actually be beneficial. And so there's a couple things here, right? You're, if you're doing it intentionally, you're thinking about the return on the investment. So one, one form of waiting that may be worth the investment because it's costing you money to do this is to be prayerful, to wait on the Lord and be prayerful about a decision, a significant decision that you're wanting to make and you're not wanting to make it with uh, wise counsel. And so you're going to wait and that's going to cost you and you should do that intentionally and realize that that has a cost associated with it. That's all you're doing there. The other form of waiting is, in manufacturing, this is really visible. In Toyota, if there's ever a problem on the line, on the line is literally a line of uh, cars being assembled as they come down the line. It gets more and more towards a finished product. And if there's ever a problem where there's a defect, the role of the frontline team member is to stop the line well, okay, what's happening there? Whenever you stop the line, the person stopping the line is going forward and fixing the defect 
and going and trying to uh, solve the root cause with their leadership team of how this defect came to be so that we don't keep creating this defect. Meanwhile, everyone else is waiting. Everyone else is waiting. So the bet that you're making there is saying, if we stop and just wait, everyone kind of stand by for a few minutes. Everyone just wait. Let's solve this problem so we don't keep creating waste. That is going to be worth the investment. It looks like everyone else is waiting. Everyone else is supposedly wasting their time. But actually what we're doing is we're solving the root cause. We're solving an upstream problem so that it doesn't keep happening. And then we can continue on. So good. Just as a little bit of a personal parallel to everything we're talking about right now, by the time we air this podcast, uh, as long as everything goes according to plan, uh, I will be married, which is super exciting. I'm currently engaged. (laughs) I'm currently engaged and got engaged on Friday. It's interesting. Last week, I had a meeting with my counselor, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday. And we were talking about this, obviously a little bit of a big decision, right? And, And he said, okay, like, what is in the way of blocking you from doing this? And I was like, quite frankly, nothing. I was like, logistically, like everything is in place. I think it's operating in wisdom. Uh, I feel great about this. I love Aspen so much. I could do this literally right after I get off this call right now. And and then I just had a little bit of a stutter step. And I said, but I think there's a few things that I want to do that will not just benefit this period of engagement, but will benefit the marriage. And that was how we spent the rest of the call is we made a list. I said, okay, well, I want to make sure that I spend tomorrow tomorrow morning praying about this in such a way that it's not just a logical thing that I'm committing to, but rather it's an emotional and spiritual thing. It's a covenant, not that I, I'm just making with her, but it's a covenant I'm making with God. So I want, I want to have intentional prayer dedicated to that. I, I want to talk to her parents and sit down with her parents. I want to call my parents and I want to have a really good conversation with them and tell them how much I appreciate their investment in me and their example of marriage that they've given me. And then I, I want to call my my sister and brother-in-law and I want to make sure that I do that. And it, it was like, okay, those four things all represented waiting. They represented roundabouts. But to use the language that we were talking about, right? Like they were waste in some ways, right? They did not represent me giving Aspen a ring and me engaging in a proposal. But we said intentional waste is making a bet. And that's what it was for me is this was like, I'm going to make a bet that if I do these four things really, really, really right, I am going to reap the benefits of that for the rest of my life is the bet that I'm making and the hope plays out, right? And what's so cool is that when you start to look at it as a bet, oh my gosh, that was like one of the best mornings of prayer I ever had because it has purpose, it has intent, it has aim. And you're saying, I'm not just here to, to figure this out logically. This is not my wish list towards God. Like I'm trying to do everything I can in cooperation with God to get emotionally and spiritually invested in a lifelong commitment. And it's like, that's the type of waiting prayer that I want to participate in, in all things, especially as it relates to things like my most important relationships and this business that I've been entrusted to steward. So good. So relating this back to business, uh, really quickly, you saying that made me think about how oftentimes what someone's idea of reduced waste today, tomorrow looks like a lot of waste. And a new, young, energetic person will come in and say, why are we doing this this way? This is so wasteful. And they'll have better ideas and maybe different ideas that reduce the waste even more. 
the biggest thing I'd say there is if you hold it open with an open hand of saying this is an investment that if we can get the return that we expect from this investment more efficiently and effectively, then let's do that. You know, if there was a way for you to communicate to your parents and brother and or sister and her husband and and ask them to do the same with her parents. And like, if there was a way to do that more efficiently, y'all would be like, yeah, great, wonderful. But we're going to pause and we're going to wait for them to have a time where I could call them and all those things. If you could just communicate in your minds, what is that telekinesis or something? Then you would do that, but you can't. And so I think that's just worth mentioning, like all of these wastes, you know, that's the thing about continuous improvement that we'll, you'll come back to as time goes on, you're standing on the shoulders of giants. You're standing on the work that has already been done. Whatever whatever the current standard is that has, quote, so much waste in it, you just have to be able to respect that for the person coming in and the new team member coming in, the new leader coming in, the new CEO coming in. You have to be able to respect where that company has been and what they've done to get to where they're at. And everyone else, including the new team member, but the old team member, so to speak, need to be able to say, but that's not where we're not, we haven't arrived. We're not there and we're going to continuously improve. And that means reducing waste. That's right. Very good. I think what would be best is for us to pause there before the next part and then jump back in to the final five types of waste in the next episode. Before we go today, what I'd like to do is for us to each think of one thing we want to make sure the audience hears on the back end of really laying the groundwork of what waste is and then these first three types of waste. So one thing you want to make sure the audience hears before we go, Zach. We spent a lot of time talking about waste and non-value. And I think if you always just come back to intentionally what it is that we are trying to do, which is create and deliver value, I think that's it's going to keep your eyes focused on serving, serving the customer, serving the best interests of the team member, serving the best interests of the current owners and the future owners. I think if you operate with the lens of service, you'll focus first on are we creating and delivering value? And secondly, how do we reduce the waste in the organization so that we can create and deliver value more effectively? Really good. I think my thought is engage with this topic with wisdom. And what does wisdom do? It is not swayed by temporary emotion. These can be very emotionally charged topics, and sometimes those emotions can keep you from evaluating your organization and even your own actions in life accurately. So, so don't listen too much to your emotions. Listen to wisdom. And remember, wisdom is competence with regard to the realities of life, as Tim Keller would say. And, and so a lot of the examples that we use here today may, might be that of a manufacturing plant or of a restaurant. And a lot of times value and waste can be really, really clear in some of those scenarios. The application of some of these principles principles might be a little bit less clear and a little bit more nuanced in your environment. And so don't try and take a cookie cutter approach to your organization, rather act with wisdom and say, what is the best way to apply these good things to my organization and our business? Final thing I want to say is we've had so much fun creating this series and all of this content is so related uh, to the content that Zach posts on LinkedIn on a pretty regular basis. So if you're not connected to Zach, 
on LinkedIn. We'll put the link to his LinkedIn in the show notes of this episode. I know y'all would love to read his insights and personal thoughts on these topics and beyond because you better believe he goes beyond (laughs) in pretty (laughs) awesome ways. Zach, appreciate you, man. We'll be back for the next part. Thank you. Well, I'm so grateful to Zach for his passion for this topic, but then also even more than just his passion for the topic, uh, for his passion for seeing the topic come to life for leaders and teams around the country. Hey, real quick, before we close out today, if you enjoyed this content and want more content like it, we send out an email every single Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday. I personally don't like email that much, and that's because most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time, not worth your energy. So we said that if we're going to send an email once a week, it better be worth it. Every week, you're going to get a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. You can read it in under two minutes. So many of you are already part of the Worth It Wednesday community. We'd love to have you join if you're not yet receiving this email. You can sign up at pathforgrowth.com or by clicking the link that's in the show notes. Y'all know this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.